story three of the thirteen travellers by hugh walpole this librivox recording is in the public domain story three the honourable clive torby he was now the only son of old lord dronda his elder brother had been killed at mons early in the war he had been aware of his good looks ever since he was a week old tom the elder brother had been fat and plain everyone had told him so he did not mind now being dead clive was the happiest fellow possible even though he had lost an arm late in seventeen he had not minded that it was his left arm and he could already do almost everything quite well without it women liked him all the better for having lost it he had always been perfectly satisfied with himself his looks his home his relations everything his critics said that he was completely selfish and had horrible manners or no manners at all but it was difficult to underline his happy unconscious young innocence so heavily certainly if in the days before the war you stayed with his people you found his indifference to your personal needs rather galling but tom looked after all that although tom often did not because he was absent-minded by nature and fond of fishing the fact is that poor lady dronda was to blame she had educated her children very badly being so fond of them and so proud of them that she gave in to them on every opportunity she was known amongst her friends as poor lady dronda because being a sentimentalist and rather stupid life was perpetually disappointing her people never came up to her expectations so she put all her future into the hands of her sons who it seemed might in the end also prove disappointing the favourite word on her lips was now tell me the truth the one thing i want to hear from any friends is the truth however the truth was exactly what she never did get because it upset her so seriously and made her so angry with the persons who gave it her tom being dead she transformed him into an angel and told sympathetic acquaintances so often that she never spoke of him that his name was rarely off her lips nevertheless she was able to devote a great deal of her time to clive who was now all her life the results of this were two first that clive although retaining all his original simple charm was more sure than ever before that he was perfect secondly that he found his mother tiresome and having been brought up to think of nobody but himself was naturally as little at home as possible he took up his abode at horton's finding a little flat number eleven on the second floor that suited him exactly into it he put his few sticks of things and the result was a charming confusion of soda-water siphons and silver photograph frames he very happily throughout the whole of nineteen eighteen resided there receiving innumerable young women to meals of different kinds throwing the rooms open to all his male acquaintances and generally turning night into day with the caution that he must not annoy mr nix the manager for whom he had the very greatest respect the odd thing was that with all his conceit and bad manners he was something of a hero he had received both the m c and the d s o and was as good an officer as the guards could boast this sounds conventional and in the good old weeda tradition but his heroism lay rather in the fact that he had positively loathed the war he hated the dirt the blood the confusion the losing of friends 
what he called the general hell no one was more amusing and amiable during his stay out there and to be weediesque again for a moment he was adored by his men nevertheless it was perhaps the happiest moment of his life when he knew he was to lose his arm no more going back to jolly old france for me old bean he wrote to a friend now i'm going to enjoy myself that was his rooted determination he had not gone through all that and been maimed for life for nothing he was going to enjoy himself yes after the war he would show em he showed them mainly at present by dancing all hours of the day and night he had danced before the war like any other human being and had faithfully attended at murray's and the four hundred and the other places but he did not know that he had very greatly enjoyed it he had gone in the main because miss poppy darling who had just then caught his attention commanded him to do so now it was quite another matter he went simply for the dance itself he was not by nature a very introspective young man and he did not think of himself as strange or odd or indeed as anything definite at all but it was perhaps a little strange that he who had been so carefully brought up by his fond mother should surrender to a passion for tom-toms and tin kettles more completely than he had ever surrendered to any woman he did not care with whom it was that he danced a man would have done as well the point was that when those harsh and jarring noises began to beat and battle through the air his body should move and gyrate in sympathy just as at that very moment perhaps somewhere in central africa a grim and glistening savage was turning monotonously beneath the glories of a full moon he danced all night and most of the day with the result that he had very little time for anything else lady dronda complained that he never wrote to her dear mother he replied on a postcard jolly busy ever so much to do see you soon young men and young women came to luncheon and dinner he was happy and merry with them all even fanny the portress downstairs adored him his smile was irresistible the strangest fact of all perhaps was that the war had really taught him nothing he had for three years been face to face with reality stared into her eyes studied her features seeing her for quite the first time and his vision of her had made no difference to him at all he came back into this false world to find it just exactly as he had left it reality slipped away from him and it was as though she had never been he was as sure as he had been four years before that the world was made only for him and his and not so much for his as for him had you asked he would not have told you because he was an englishman and didn't think it decent to boast but you would have seen it in his eyes that he really did believe that he was vastly superior to more than three-quarters of the rest of humanity and this although he had gone to eton and had received therefore no education although he knew no foreign language knew nothing about the literature of his own or any other country was trained for no business and no profession and could only spell with a good deal of hit and miss result moreover when you faced him and thought of these things you yourself were not sure whether after all he were not right 
he was so handsome so self-confident so fearless so touching with his youth and his armless sleeve that you could not but wonder whether the world after all was not made for such as he the old world perhaps but the new one meanwhile clive danced he flung himself into such an atmosphere of dancing that he seemed to dance all his relations and acquaintances into it with him he could not believe that every one was not spending the time in dancing albert edward whose official name was banks assured him that he had no time for dancing no time said clive greatly concerned poor devil i don't know how you get along albert edward who approved of the honourable clive because of his pluck his birth his good looks and his generosity only smiled got to earn my living sir he said really must you clive was concerned well it's a damned shame after all you've done over there someone's got to work still i suppose sir said albert edward and it's my belief that it's them that works hardest now that will reap the harvest soonest and that's my belief really said clive in politely interested tone well banks if you want to know my idea it is that it's about time that some of us enjoyed ourselves after all we've been through let the old uns who stayed at home do the work yes sir said albert edward it did indeed seem a shame to clive that any one should have to work at all that nice girl fanny for instance who was portress downstairs or that poor old decrepit-looking thing who was night porter and opened the door for clive at four in the morning he told fanny what he thought fanny laughed i love my work sir she said i wouldn't be without it for anything wouldn't you really now said clive staring at her dimly he perceived that these months after the armistice and during the early months of nineteen nineteen were a queer time no one seemed to know what was going to happen the state of the world was very uncomfortable did one look into it too closely even into the chaste and decorous quarter of st james's rumours of impending revolution penetrated people were unhappy had not enough to eat had no roof over their heads always one thing or another the papers were beastly so clive gave up looking at them save only the sporting times and devoted his hours that were saved from dancing to a little gentle betting to wondering whether joe becket would be goddard and when he had beaten him to wondering whether he would be george carpentier and to playing a rubber or two of auction bridge at white's and to entertaining the ladies and gentlemen already mentioned he was not during this period worrying at all about money he very seldom saw his old father who never came up to town and never wrote letters old lord dronda who was now nearly seventy stayed at the place at hertfordshire he loved cows and pigs and horses and clive imagined him perfectly happy in the midst of these animals he had an ample allowance but he was compelled to reinforce it by writing checks on his mother's account she had when he lost his arm given him an open check-book on her bank there was nothing too good for such a hero he did not naturally think about money he did not like to be bothered about it but he was vaguely rather proud of himself for keeping out of the money-lender's hands and not gambling more deeply at bridge luckily a dancing left one little time for that 
keeps me out of mischief jazzing does he told his friends he had in his room a photograph of his father an old photograph but like the old man still lord dronda was squarely built and had side whiskers and pepper and salt trousers he looked like a prosperous farmer his thighs were thick his nose square and he wore a billycock a little on one side of his head clive had not seen his father for so long a time that it gave him quite a shock to come in one afternoon and find the old man sitting under his photograph a thick stick in his hand and large gaiters above his enormous boots he was looking about him with a lost and bewildered air and sitting on the very edge of the sofa his grey bowler was on the back of his head hello governor clive cried clive was a little bewildered at the sight of the old man his plan had been a nap before dressing for dinner he had been dancing until six that morning and was naturally tired but he was a kindly man and therefore nice to his father i'm delighted to see you he said but whatever are you doing up here the old man was not apparently greatly delighted to see clive he was lost and bewildered and seemed to have trouble in finding his words he stammered and looked helplessly about him his son asked him whether he'd had any tea no he wouldn't have any tea no nothing at all the fact is he brought out at last that dronda is to be sold and i thought you ought to know dronda to be sold the words switched back before clive's eyes that figure of reality that recently he had forgotten dronda to be sold he saw his own youth colored with the green of the lawns the silver of the lake the deep red brick of the old house dronda to be sold but that's impossible father he cried he found however that a great deal more than that was possible he had never possessed as he had been used somewhat proudly to boast a very good head for figures and the old man had not a great talent for making things clear but the final point was that the income tax and the general increased expenses of living had made dronda impossible also my boy lord dronda added all the money you've been spending lately your mother only confessed to me last week you'll have to get some work and settle down to it i'm sorry but the old days are gone i'm quite aware that this is not a very original story on how many occasions in how many novels has the young heir to the entails been suddenly faced with poverty and been compelled to sit down and work nine times out of ten most nobly has he done it and ten times out of ten he has won the girl of his heart by so doing the only novelty here is the moment of the catastrophe here was the very period towards which through years and years of discomfort and horror in france young clive had been looking after the war he would have the time of his life after the war had arrived andronda was to be sold his first impulse was to abuse fate generally and his father in particular one glance at the old man checked that how funny he looked sitting there on the edge of the sofa his thick stick between his knees his hat tilted back and that air of bewildered perplexity on his round face as of a baby confronted with his first thunderstorm his thick-set rather stout body his side whiskers his rough red hands all seemed to remove him completely from the smart slim 
dark young man who sat opposite him nevertheless clive felt the bond he was suddenly in unison with his father as he had never been in all his life with his mother his father and he had never had what one would call a heart-to-heart -heart conversation in their lives they did not have one now they would have been bitterly distressed at such an idea all clive said was oh, what a bore i didn't know things were like that you ought to have told me to which Dronda replied, his eyes wistfully on his son's empty sleeve, I didn't think it would get so bad. You'll have to find some work. No need for us to bother your mother about it. The old man got up to go. His eyes moved uncomfortably from one photograph to another. He pulled at his high collar as though he felt the room close. Sure you won't have anything? said Clive. No, thanks, said his father well don't you worry i'll get some work all right i'll have to pull my horns in a bit though and that was positively all that was said dronda went away that puzzled bewildered look still hovering between his mouth and his eyes his gray bowler still a little to one side after he was gone clive considered the matter once the first shock was over things were really not so bad the loss of Dronda was horrible, of course, and Clive thought of that as little as might be. But even there, the war had made a difference, having shaken everything in its tempestuous course to the ground, so that one looked on nothing now as permanent. As to work, Clive would not mind that at all. There was quite a number of things that he would like to do. There were all these new ministries, for instance. He thought of various friends that he had he wrote down the names of one or two or there was the city he had often fancied that he would like to go into the city you made money there he understood in simply no time at all and you needed no education he thought of one or two city men whom he knew and wrote down their names one or two other things occurred to him before he went out to dine he had written a dozen notes he liked to think that he could be prompt and businesslike when there was need during the next day or two he had quite a merry time with his friends about the affair he laughingly depicted himself as a serious man of business one of those men whom you see in the cinemas men who sit at enormous desks and have big fists and rolls royces he spent one especially jolly evening first at claridge's then as you were at the pavilion sir billion de boost was what he would shortly be he told his laughing companion then dancing oh a delightful evening my last kick he called it and looking back afterwards he found that he had spoken more truly than he knew his friends answered his notes and asked him to go and see them he went there then began a very strange period of discovery first he went to the labor ministry and saw his old friend reggie burr reggie looked most official in his room with his telephone and things Clive told him so. Reggie smiled, but said that he was pressed for time, and would Clive just mind telling him what it was he wanted? Clive found it harder to tell him than he had expected. He was modest and uneloquent about his time in France, and after that there really was not very much to say. What had he done? What could he do? Well, not very much. He laughed. I'm sure I'd fit into something, he said i'll let you know if there is anything said reggie burr and so it went on 
it was too strange how definite these men wanted him to be as the days passed clive had the impression that the world was getting larger and larger and emptier and emptier it seemed as though he could not touch boundaries nor horizons it was a new world and he had no place in it the dancing suddenly receded or rather was pushed and huddled back as the nurse in old days took one's toys and crammed them into a corner clive found it no longer amusing he was puzzled and dancing did not help him to any discovery he found that he had nothing to say to his friends on these occasions he was aware that they were saying behind his back what's come to clive toby dull as dishwater he went about with a bemused blinded expression he was seeing himself for the first time hortons and everything in it had quite a new life for him mr nix fanny albert edward all these people were earning their living and earning it much more efficiently than he seemed to be able to do all the time behind them seemed to stand that wistful figure of his father i'd like to do something for the old man he thought down in the city his experiences were very strange the first three men whom he saw were very polite and jolly and said they'd let him know if anything turned up they asked him what business experience he had had and then how much money he was prepared to put into a concern and when he had answered them with a jolly laugh and said that he had had no experience and had no doubt that he would shake down all right and that he had no money but really would take his coat off and work they smiled and said that things were bad in the city just now but they would let him know they all liked him he felt and he liked them and that was as far as it went but his experience with his fourth friend was different sir james meredith baronet could scarcely be called a friend of his he had met him once at someone's house reggie burr had given him a note to him he was a big broad man somewhere near sixty and he was as nice to clive as possible but he did not mince matters he had been given his baronetcy for some fine organizing work that he had done in the war clive who did not think much about men as a rule liked him better than any man he'd ever met this fellow would do for me he thought the question however was whether clive would do for meredith what have you done meredith asked hmm eton and oxford and uh, what kind of a job are you looking for clive modestly explained somewhere about six hundred a year he wanted to help the governor get through a stiff time meredith smiled that was very nice would clive mind meredith speaking quite plainly not at all that was what clive wanted meredith then said that it was like a fairy tale he had had during the last fortnight four fellows who wanted jobs at anything from five hundred to a thousand a year all of them very modest hadn't had any experience but thought they could drop into it all of them done well in the war all of them wanted to keep their parents very creditable but there was another side to the question did clive know that there were hundreds of men ready to come in at three hundred a year and less men who had been in the city since nine years old men who had the whole thing at their fingers ends hundreds of them the world was made for you boys before the war you won't think me rude will you you went to eton at oxford and learnt nothing at all and then waited for things to tumble into your hands 
that's why commercial germany beat us all around the world well it won't do any longer the new world isn't made for you boys you've got to win your way into it you're quite right clive blushed thank you very much meredith looked at him and his heart warmed to him take my tip and do a working man's job what about house painting for instance or driving a taxi they're getting big money just for a bit do try your hand not a bad idea said clive they shook hands in a most friendly fashion meredith spoke to his partner at lunch about him nice boy he said we'll have him in here later clive went back to horton's and met there the temptation of his life in the shape of his mother she was looking lovely in grey silk parma violets and a little black hat she was in one of her most sentimental moods she cried a good deal and asked clive what he intended to do when she asked him that what she really wanted was that he should say that he loved her this he did in a hurried fashion because he wanted to tell her about meredith she had however her own ideas that she wanted to say and these were in the main that he was her all and that it was too awful about dronda that john lord dronda had simply been losing thousands over his stupid old agriculture and finally that she had money of her own on which dear clive should live to the end of his days all this nonsense about his working as though he hadn't done enough already with his poor arm and everything they should go away together and have a lovely time clive was tempted for ten minutes there raged a fierce battle he knew that what she said could be true enough that they could go away together and spend money together and that she would give him everything that she had and only want him in return to say over and over again that he loved her they would wander about and probably he would find some rich girl who would marry him and then he would live on her while he thought this out words poured from his mother's lips in tattered confusion no words used by his mother ever meant what she intended them to say nevertheless the last question held substance of them all and you really do love me clive boy don't you the clive boy really settled it although i hope and believe that it would have been settled without that but he could not wander about europe as clive boy so he said oh, thanks mother you're a brick wantin me to have everything and all that but i really won't i'm going to settle down and work whatever at you poor foolish darling asked his mother oh, anything i can get he replied she left him at last having cried just enough to show her real emotion without damaging her unreal complexion her parma violets were also intact he was an unkind ungrateful son and her heart was broken but at the same time he was her all and would he lunch with her to-morrow at claridge's this he said he would do my last good meal he murmured to himself quite histrionically his mother departed he had a bad quarter of an hour after she had gone the sacred precincts of horton's contained at least one honest soul that afternoon he saw himself exactly as he was spoilt useless idle and conceited he swore to himself that he would find work of some kind before the day was done he went out it was a lovely afternoon early in may 
mr bottom the newsagent had fine copies of colour showing in his window the top of duke street gazed straight into the huge naked-looking statue of a horse in the courtyard of the academy everything seemed to be having a spring cleaning he turned back and down into german street next to the haman baths they were painting a house light green a nice young fellow in overalls stepped over a ladder as clive passed he smiled at clive clive smiled back is that an easy job clive asked him oh yes sir the young fellow answered could you manage it with one arm clive asked why yes the man said could i pick it up quickly lord yes will you teach me a week later mr nix in a hurry as usual was pattering up duke street bottom's paper shop was having a new coat of paint a young workman in yellow overalls perched on a ladder managed his brush adroitly with one arm poor fellow said mr nix a compassionate man always but doubly so now because he had lost his son in the war left the other in france i suppose the workman looked down and revealed to the astonished countenance of mr nix the laughing eyes of his late tenant the honourable clive torby End of story three